I'm Jack Semlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2020 Strip Till Farmer podcast series. In today's program, we expand into the world of 60 inch corn and learn about some of the benefits, challenges, and outcomes of the novel but emerging system. If this is your first time joining us, I would encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. And a reminder that by subscribing, you will be able to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released. Thanks again to Topcon Agriculture for its support of this podcast series. Agronomy Matters and Topcon Agriculture application solutions make it work. From planning to precision machine control, NORAX, boom height control, monitoring and mapping to data management, you have the total set of solutions to maximize your agronomic plan. Find out how to make the most of your 4-hour nutrient stewardship with precision technology that is unmatched in ease of use. Visit them at topconpositioning.com slash growing solutions. Researcher Bob Recker acknowledges that wide row corn isn't going to be a commercial success anytime soon. But there's plenty of potential in the unique cropping system as a pathway to increase strip-tilled soil health. A former ag engineer and current owner of Cedar Valley Innovation in Waterloo, Iowa, Bob began experimenting with 60-inch corn in 2017, plotting a course for plants to better harvest sunlight and allow for more versatile seeding strategies with cover crops. In today's Strip Till Farmer podcast, Bob shares how turning off every other row on your planter and doubling per row populations can create an accommodating environment for corn and cover crops, along with a candid look at some of the practical challenges, including weed control, that a 60-inch system can produce. I expect that many of you are somewhat exposed to 60-inch rows, but here's the deal. And so what you get out of this, I'm going to put you in control because I'm going to give you a really short summary of what we've concluded on the 60-inch rows up to this point. But I've seated the audience with some experts and we can have a really good discussion. So if it looks like I'm glossing over it, it's your responsibility to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I wanna hear more about that. Because I have a big, long, lengthy presentation I could have made, but that would have bored about half of you and it took too long. So we're gonna have a pretty short formal session and we can have conversation, but I'd really like to have the conversation in the meeting, not afterwards and all that. So executive summary on 60 inch rows, what we concluded over the last two years now is there's some good things. They are an incredibly good opportunity for cover crops. You have the opportunity to, for more sunlight and all that. And there's some people here that could testify to that. To my surprise, when I first started talking about this, the people that grazed their cover crops got really energized because it made for a much longer season for them. How many here have grazing livestock? Anybody? Okay, couple? Good, 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 good. And so have you been following the 60 inch thing at all? Or is this new to you? First you've heard of it? Okay, all right, feel free to ask questions because I think there's a lot of things associated with the grazing that are different than generic cover crops like species and where you are and all that sort of stuff. And then ultimately it's an opportunity for soil and water health. It's just that simple. 
The bad news is if all you want to do is grow grain, haul it off to the elevator and collect a check, this is not the topic you want to work with because you are not going to get any more corn yield out of the field. You can get a whole bunch more cover crop, which will go back into biomass or weed suppression or grazing material, but you're not going to get any more grain based on what we've seen up to this point. We're thinking about how to get more, but don't want to disappoint you on that. And then the other thing is if you're not good with weeds, if you're not good at weed control, weed management, if you want to cultivate, that's great or whatever, but you're going to have more weed pressure because nature abhors a vacuum. And a big, wide 60-inch space out in the field between corn rows, it may canopy late in the season, but there's a lot of days when nature will try to grow weeds in that open space. So put a cover crop in there. If you're not gonna put a cover crop in there, don't do it. I think after a couple of years and input from others, that's what I would say. And this is just a little bit more detail. This is 2017 and to propagate a correct urban legend, I originally in 2017 planted a few dozen rows of corn at 60 inches on the dare from a friend of mine. He said, Bob, you think you're so smart with all your sunlight harvest, why don't we have wide rows like we used to? And why don't we plant corn in 40 inch rows? Nobody plants corn in 40, not nobody, but few people plant corn in 40 inch rows. Well, my planter's adjustable, but I said, really, for you, I'll plant some 60 inch rows. I thought it was gonna be a train wreck, but interestingly, and we had just enough that we had not formal replications, but we had a number of samples. And statistically, the 60 inch rows had the same corn yield production as 30 inch rows in the same field population. Now, when you're sitting in your planter tractor and poking up the population on the monitor, if you're doing it by row, the row population is double. So the plant spacing is half but the field population is the same. Now, whether it should be 10% less or 10% more or whatever, that's an open question. If you're trying to grow cover crop, living mulch or companion crops, maybe even a different crop, it's an opportunity. The other thing is it's a nice open path if you're wanting to run a high clearance rig in the field for seeding cover crops later or high clearance sprayers, that sort of stuff, not so much damage. So that was what the outcome was of basically my plots in 2017. Well, then in January, I think it was, or December of 2017, January, I got invited to talk to the Practical Farmers of Iowa group and a meeting in Ames, and then in some other private Facebook groups that we're a part of. The founder of one of those is a guy named Lauren Steinlogge, good friend of mine up in West Union, Iowa. He created a closed Facebook group. They have meetings. And I was making these presentations and there were people sitting in the room kind of just tolerating it. And all of a sudden I put up these pictures and they perked up and started paying attention. And I figured out later that they were the people that had livestock and wanted to graze them. So it looked like it was a real opportunity. If I could get the same amount of grain and do some serious grazing, then that'd be a good thing. So then in 2018, because of the exposure, and then and in the audience at Ames was a guy named Dean Houghton, uh, editor for the John Deere Furrow Magazine, which is a highly credible, believe generally publication. And I started getting phone calls. And so we ended up establishing plots, if you will. And these are BTN plots. BTN stands for better than nothing, 
which means it's not a university level peer review, statistically replicated trial. And I'd have these people, they'd call me and I'd send them an email and I'd send them a PowerPoint. And this is how you do replicated plots and it's statistically random and all that. And I didn't hear too much. And then kind of late April, I get this phone call and I hear the vacuum fan on the planter running in the background. Tell me again, Bob, how you do these plots. And so, okay, you need a BTN plot because it's just going to be better than nothing. You turn off every other row on your planter, kick the population up to twice what it was otherwise, if you're talking about total planter population, make a round and then do the same thing in your normal 30 inch rows. And then at the end of the year, send me data on what your yield monitor said. That was a BTN plot. And there's like 30 people around the country as far west as Sterling, Colorado, uh, down into, I think there were some maybe in Missouri. And as far east as Columbus, I had some conversations with some guys in Maryland. So we had 30 participants on the list in nine different states. Seven of them did not have cover crops. And so I suspected how that was going to turn out. Five of them did. The result of that was the average corn yield was a decrease of 5%, but the tolerance on that based on this sample size was plus or minus 10%. So that says there were people in this group that got 5% more corn, and there were some that had 15% less. And most of these were just emails. I didn't know the people, I didn't visit the plots and all that. I'd kidded that if the USDA funded this, it would have been a multi-million dollar project and all that, but it was just a quick and dirty. That's what we got. So based on that, I don't know how many of these guys are going forward. I would say generally the pure grain producers aren't, but the people with cover crops, especially those that graze. So cover crops is what, 10 to 15% of the corn acres in the country? And the people that graze might be 10 or 15% of that. So you're talking about a couple percent of the farm population. So this isn't a world changer at this point, but for these folks, it is useful. This year to date, and this is my heartache because I don't have any data for you. There are more people building experience with 60 inch rows. And mostly they're people that are interested in the nuances, like how does this work in organic? when I got to be out cultivating more, so I need more space for my equipment, that sort of thing. So there's people kind of fine tuning it, I would say, and trying to figure out if they can make it work for them. I'm not doing a lot, and I'll explain why in a minute, but I am looking at some alternate populations. One of my good customers says, Bob, until you can show higher corn yield, you're wasting your time. It better be significantly more yield or people aren't just gonna do it. And that's definitely true unless you're a cover crop person. And I don't think you can succeed with this system unless you're a cover crop person. Those two are just intimately linked. I'm moving a little bit to other strategies for harvesting sunlight. The guy that wrote the article in the furrow hung the name Mr. Sunlight on me, and that's really where I am. We'll get back to the discussion shortly, but I wanted to once again thank our sponsor, TopCon Agriculture, for making this podcast possible, and welcome in Dr. Ray Acevedo, former assistant professor of precision agriculture at Kansas State University and consultant for TopCon Agriculture. In this week's technology tips from Dr. Ray, he discusses the evolution of soil sampling effectiveness and efficiency. So looking at soil sampling, what's out there today? 
Grid soil sampling is getting much more prevalent. It's getting cheaper, although soil analysis is still expensive. What's really cool is all the soil moisture sensing technology that's coming out today and the better connectivity and accuracy that they're starting to offer. There's even soil sensing technologies that's starting to make predictions on what the nutrient analysis is for the soil, trying to not necessarily replace the lab, but provide you more real-time information on what's going on with your NPK and other macro and micronutrients. And then, of course, better soil sampling tools. How many people actually went out there and pulled with the old tried-and-true soil probe? One hand up. A couple of more hands up there. Let's just say when we were all pulling with just a soil probe, did you really want a grid sample on two and a half acres? Hell no. Somebody was laughing and shaking their head over there. That's the day of the composite. I'm taking 15 samples for the entire field. Well, as soon as I got a cool hydraulic unit driving around my four-wheeler and looking cool, now grid sam soil sampling isn't all that bad. So what is this doing for us when we're starting to be able to get better soil sampling information in? It's enabling the acquisition of very critical soil fertility data that we simply can't get through other remote sensing or optical sensor techniques. It's still a foundational part of an agronomic program in improving farm management. Let's get back to the program now and hear more from Bob Recker on some of the considerations for equipment setups when it comes to 60-inch corn. I'm kind of moving on to some other things and I consider this now to be a new farming practice, not advanced. And let me explain what I mean by that. We're gonna depart the 60 inch row topic about now, but if you think about a company, whether it's a Yetter or a Case or New Holland or John Deere, they all have a number. And within Deere, historically, it was around 4% of sales goes to R&D. And then the R&D, the engineering, if you will, is divided into continuous improvement, new programs, and then advanced. And typically, correct me if I'm wrong here, Jack, but around half the people are associated with continuous improvements. They're fixing leaks, fixing problems, responding to customer complaints and all that. Not a lot of budget there, but it's just manpower because they're just working and they're dealing with product that's out there every day. The big dog in engineering is new product programs. That's the next horsepower increase, the next feature, emissions compliance was in that category and all that. So that's where you build lots of equipment. You got multiple pieces of hardware, lots of lab tests, field tests and all that sort of stuff. But then they developed a goal and toward the end of my career, after 35 years, they finally got me in the right job for me. And that was, I was involved in the advanced engineering side of things. Their rule was, 10% of the R&D should go into advanced. And advanced was stuff, kind of crazy ideas. We'd try to get through a demo, get through a one-off. We'd haul the executives out to the desert, show them this nice stuff and all that. We might show them 10 different projects in a day, in a one-day field day type thing. If one of those got committed to production each year, we were happy. So things like auto track, front suspension, a lot of that sort of stuff came out of the advanced environment. So that's corporate. What do you guys care about corporate? You're here to feed the world and all that. So I've taken the approach of suggesting to folks for every thousand acres you farm, you ought to take 4% or 40 acres and do what is for you a new practice. Your today strip tilling, 
and you're wondering about going the no-till, don't just listen to a great pitch or a presentation or something and change the whole operation. You're putting too much at risk. Take that 40 acres and hire somebody or borrow a machine or something and do that new practice. Maybe it's a new seed, maybe it's a new nutrient thing and all that. So it's a way of getting yourself exposed to what's going on in the industry, what your neighbors are doing, what the guy in the next state is doing and getting experience with that. So in your 960 acres, you're out there scouting, you're taking care of that every day. That's just what you do and that's fine. But then the 40 acres is kind of special. But then in that 40 acres, take four acres and just do something crazy. Kind of like Charlie's little plot that you go pull the weeds by hand, that sort of thing. Do something that might be risky, that you aren't so sure it's a good idea, but it may have potential. It's really kind of a mind expanding thing. It may well fail, but you'll learn something in the failures. In my mind, the 60 inch roll thing was advanced when I just did it for the hell of it, just to prove a point. Then I started talking about it and people started getting interested in it. My strong encouragement to them was don't do a lot, just do a little, do a few rows, do a round. And then based on that, you can decide that that isn't for you or you can move on. So I consider now the 60 inches to be new practice. And since I don't know that much about cover crops, I don't have a lot of acres that I farm. I have access to a very limited number of acres for my little experiments. So I'm handing that off to the world and the handful of people out there that continue to pursue this. I've got YouTubes that show up every now and then of people describing what they're doing and showing pictures and all that. Social media is really the fabric that is gonna pull that into the world. It's not going to be me out there pitching it or any other one person. It's people saying, well, you know, this guy tried that and so we'll try that. And communities of like practices hang together. So that's what they do. Thank you, Bob, for sharing your experience with 60-inch rows and some of the considerations for getting into that system. Again, we'd like to thank and recognize our sponsor, TopCon Agriculture, for helping make this Strip-Till Farmer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessitermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. You can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free strip-till strategies daily e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at striptillfarmr and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again for the next episode in our 2020 podcast series. And a reminder that you can still listen to past episodes at striptillfarmer.com. For Bob Recker, Topcon Agriculture, and our entire staff here with Strip-Till Farmer, I'm Jack Semlicka. Thanks for listening. <laughs>